On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. But I think focusing on the positive and sharing the story, that I think really helps. So one of the reasons that this campaign is working so positively is because it's not easy to talk about your mental health issues absolutely not and it's draining to say the story every single time if you go in in depth about it but storytelling at the same time actually helps with your mental health and with your anxiety because i think you feel a bit more empowered because you're you're doing something about it and also um getting involved in campaigns or getting involved so i think that's why this campaign works Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Natasha Mueller, founder of NM Impact. Natasha, thanks for making time. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. So we've got a, a bunch of things to talk about here. Um, first, shout out to our mutual friend, Lindsay Hadley, for putting us together here. Thank you very much, Lindsay. <laughs> um, so so can you um, – let, let's start off with uh, just the, the little bit of background of um, basically uh, – very successful family have been able to start looking at a lot of things to do with next gen wealth and uh, advising others and being involved with universities and your own impact investing and then also your charitable work um Mm -hmm. do you want to talk for just one minute about the family business and then maybe we'll jump into united uh united for global mental health yeah that sounds great so um, because my background, uh, my where I come from and who I am is very much influenced has very much influenced the path that I've taken since then. So I'm half Swiss, half Colombian. I was born in Japan and raised in Hong Kong and Spain. Um, and my family business was actually set up by my grandfather in 1912 in Yokohama, Japan. It's, um, it was an import-export business. And then um, over the years, so we introduced companies like Rolex or Puma to the Japanese market uh, kind of at the end of World War II. Then when my father was old enough, he took it over in um, the early 80s. And then kind of as globalization took over, you didn't need import-export houses. So my dad took over the more successful parts of that and then sold the rest. And we focused predominantly on textiles. So what my dad was working on was a textile manufacturing company in China and Hong Kong. Um, So I'm third generation of the textile company. And uh, part of that was... So it's my experience in the textile sector that drew my attention to sustainability because it's one of the most massively polluting industries. And it was through there that I got on that journey uh, to look at how to have impact with everything I do, how to be sustainable. And then unfortunately, when I was um, 17, my father died by suicide uh, when me and my brother were home alone. And that kind of set off a chain of events um, that's brought me to where I am now because I inherited very young, had to get very involved in the company. So that was what brought me to this whole look, working with other next gens who have been in a similar position. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where I've, where I've come from. 
Uh, and that also explains why I had the whole why I had the whole passion for mental health initiatives. Because also at uni, I went to university in um, in England. I studied at Nottingham and then at SOAS. And there I found that mental health issues were quite prevalent. Because I think it's a question of like who you are, what are you doing, your identity. And so that was another impetus because two of my best friends at the time also died by suicide at university. So I've been surrounded by a lot of mental health issues and questions of identity and who I am. So that's kind of led me to my work on impact investing and working with mental health and working with NextGen. Yeah. And can you talk about, you know, Alicia London? I remember meeting her with with Lindsay through the Global Citizen stuff and then hearing about what she was doing with the royal family and, and then kind of excited to see this this next iteration of it and and obviously grateful for people mm-hmm. like you to actually make that vision a reality yeah so meeting alicia london was one of i think it was i, I almost describe it as like a pivotal moment in my life because uh, i met her in february 2018 and before that i'd already been working in the mental health space uh, philanthropically supporting a number of organizations but i was i was a bit frustrated by the lack of change at the kind of bigger level so I was working with Club, excuse me, Clubhouse International and a bunch of very on-the-ground, hands-on um, mental health uh, institutions. And, but it wasn't changing the global narrative, and it wasn't having like real systems change impact, so to speak. I just felt it was more like palliative, and I was having an effect on the ground. And then I met Elisa, and she just started this idea with the United for Global Mental Health. She was a founder of the Heads Together campaign, um, which was the mental health initiative launched by Prince Harry and Prince William. And they, that was only kind of a short-term um, campaign, and they wanted to focus on, on the UK. And Alicia, I think through her work there and her own experiences, she realized that there is no kind of global campaign that's addressing this and changing the dialogue at the global level. And so she came up with this concept for United for Mental Health, and she told me about it in February last year. And her idea is basically that it's a nationally-led, globally-supported campaign. So because mental health predominantly uh, or disproportionately affects uh, people in, in more, po- more in poorer areas, so her focus was on low- and middle-income countries. And then she wanted to support the work that activists on the ground in kind of India, Indonesia, um, uh, Sierra Leone, Sudan, Nigeria, what they were doing was kind of a global campaign to to raise the awareness and raise the financing at the global level. And so she was telling me about this, and she's predominantly involved in advocacy, financing, and campaigning. And this was the moment that I was like, yes, this is what will get mental health on the agenda. I was just, I, I was like, that's exactly it. If we can mobilize and change the dialogue at the global level, but then have that run by grassroots organization on the ground, people who are really working in difficult conditions, you know, trying to change the mindset, um, that's how it would work. So after like 20 minutes of talking to her, um, she had a little, the organization had barely been set up yet. It wasn't even a charity when I got involved. It was still a company. We were still in the process of changing it into a charity. She had a bit of funding from Pivotal Ventures, which is Melinda Gates Financing um, Foundation. And after 20 minutes, I was like, that's it. This is it. I was like, here, let, I gave her a bit of money, quite a bit of money. And then that got her through till till the end of the summer. And then we got Lady Gaga, Born This Way Foundation on board. Now we've got HSBC. We had Comic Relief. Uh, we've got Welcome Trust. And she's, I mean, her team are incredible. They put together an amazing group of campaigners, really on the ground, hands-on activists. And they've gotten some amazing partners together. So, um, yeah, so that's been what we've been working on. And now in September this year, we just launched uh, the campaign at the UN General Assembly. And yeah, a whole bunch know- of campaigners... I wanted to talk about that. You know, Lindsay was so excited when we were talking before you guys went out there. <clears throat> so for starters, yeah, tell, tell us what it is 
and then tell us why you think it matters. What the launch was, you mean, at the UN General Assembly? Tell tell us about what you guys were doing there, and then tell us how you see that uh, affecting the issue. So basically, the the main one, well, what our whole spiel is that one of the main problems with mental health initiatives is that ministers, so politicians and governments, are not giving it the, the priority that it deserves. And by launching at the UN General Assembly, unfortunately, not one minister uh, from around the world attended, even though we invited a few. Um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand was uh, supposed to come, but she, at the last minute, she unfortunately couldn't, but she uh, made a video for us about the importance of mental health. And I mean, they've just announced that they're going to put in $1.9 billion for mental health initiatives in New Zealand. So that's a huge change. But anyway, just to backtrack a little bit. The UN General Assembly, the aim of that was to highlight it at the global stage. And we got the head of the YMCA to attend. We got Dr. Tedros, who was a WHO, head of WHO. We got the UN Deputy Secretary General was there, Queen of Belgium, um, and uh, our campaigners, plus a bunch of celebrities like Zach Williams, Robin Williams' son, who, whose father also died by suicide, Lady Gaga's mom, Cynthia Germanotta, who is a WHO Goodwill ambassador. She was there. The team did an amazing job and got the um, singers, the performers from Dear Evan Hansen, to perform as well, which was amazing because that's all about anxiety and depression in relation to social media when you're at school. So they performed one of their uh, key songs at, to, launch the, to launch the event. And then we had the campaigners talking about why it matters to them. And basically, the importance of this event was to bring the global focus at, the, at that international level to mental health initiatives. And even more importantly, so that morning, it was, on the, um, it was just on the 23rd of, of September, that morning, the Universal Health Coverage Act had been, adopted by, uh, had been adopted by countries worldwide. And it was the first time that mental health, was, uh, mental health language was included in this text to prioritize mental health alongside physical health. Because for me, there's no physical health without mental health, no mental health without physical health. And so by putting mental health in the universal health coverage document and then having the launch straight afterwards, it had a huge catalytic effect um, on kind of mobilizing attention towards mental health. And then, um, so I think that's why it was so important. And then the team followed it up by uh, launching a museum of lost and found potential. And they did this the day before World Mental Health Day. Um, So they did it on the 10th of October. And the importance of that was also because this year, World Mental Health Day was on suicide. So every 40 seconds, someone dies by suicide. And the stats for mental health are like one in four people will um, suffer from mental health, uh, mental ill health in the world. And so what they wanted to do was they want to get more financing from government. But instead of always using the stick to beat ministers around the head with and saying, you should, you should, you should, what we wanted to demonstrate with the Museum of Lost and Found Potential was that there is actually potential to be found if you invest in mental health, because you have a much more productive and happier society and economy if you invest in mental health. So this museum was basically to show what the lost potential is from not investing in mental health and what potential can be found if you do invest in mental health. So we had like the boot, the riding boots that this young girl never was able to, wasn't able to wear because she died by suicide because her mental health um, problems were not addressed. And then the flip side of that, we had Scarlett Curtis, who's Richard Curtis' daughter. She had quite a lot of mental health issues when she was growing up. And she was lucky that she had 
uh, great parents and enough finances to be able to support her, to be able to get the help she needed. And now she's turned around and written a book about mental health. And we had that in the museum. So the idea was to show, look, there's benefit and it makes sense to invest in mental health because this is the potential that your country or your economy or society can have. You know, I, so I'm those so, were the two events that we did. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that um, That showing the juxtaposition. I, I think about when we were able to get Lindsay to come run Child Rescue for us, our, our charity combating child trafficking 10 years ago, you know, and mm -hmm. the previous six months after starting it, I'd gotten almost nothing done, you know. I was busy running the investment fund and I had all of our employees working on it a bit and some volunteers, but we had gone around telling people these horror stories of just how bad mm. child trafficking can be. And like, you know, all the mothers that we talked to basically curl up in the fetal position and the dads, you know, say something like, well, let's get some $1 problem solvers and just take these guys off the face of the earth. But that's not really anything, mm. you know, it's, a, it's not anything productive and it's not, it wasn't helpful. And, And everyone's like, oh, man, that's so bad. I'm, I'm glad you're working on that or something like that. And then once we had Lindsay involved, um, she, uh, she and I and my wife, Stephanie, were out in Washington, D.C. and got to meet with a survivor named Tina Fruitt, who has been mm – -hmm. she was one of the CNN heroes. And she talked about uh, success cases and how when you talk about success, how many people want to get with you and um, yeah. really showed us some things. And, and we had just kind of – accidentally bumped into that we we started we were working with this survivor from arizona named uh also named natasha <laughs> um and <laughs> she had name. grown up in a middle-income family in california and had kind of been recruited into that world uh they told her she was going to be doing makeup for models and they even had her calling home to her parents saying how great the tour was going and stuff right um i'll, I'll mm -hmm. skip this story but NYPD ends up rescuing her about a year later, obviously extremely traumatized by that year. But um, America's Most Wanted ended up taking her story on, and they actually caught her trafficker. And she kind of got that closure to that thing. We started telling people about the success story, and all of a sudden, all sorts of people were like, that's amazing. I, I want to be a part of this. How do I help out? And we were like, what? We've been begging people to get involved for six months. <laughs> the issue hasn't changed at all. Yeah. But, but by talking about those success stories, instead of just – Instead of just the problem, there was like uh, yeah. this magnetism of like, I want to be a part of success, you know, um, and I commend you for being so open about, uh, you know, suicide of your father and, and using that as something to be able to help others. You know, I think about a couple of uh, friends that I lost. Um, one was in high school um, and another one was about uh, here about seven years ago. And, um, mm. you know, suicides can be such a dark subject and it's, it's obviously, uh, you, you know, so tough for those they leave behind and things. When you think about, um, when you think about how to make it inspiring for people to hear the mental health success stories and the, the people willing to stand up, um, like I, I think about a really good friend of mine who's a part of a group here of uh, CEOs with mental health mm -hmm. concerns. And, you know, being a CEO can be a pretty lonely job. And um, we've had a couple of notable suicides out here in Utah of people with wildly successful mm -hmm. businesses, you know, um, uh, yeah. again, thinking about your father. When you think of um, something helpful, people who, people who are having, you know, unhelpful, unhelpful thoughts, or they have a family member who is, What, what's, what's just a small piece of advice that, that you would have in a situation like that? 
Um, well, it's a really good question, and it links a little bit back to your point about the positive side of storytelling. So I think one of the – thank you for sharing as well. That's an incredible, incredible story, and it's great to hear that your friend actually that heard the trafficker got caught. Um, but I think focusing on the positive and sharing the story, that I think really helps. So one of the reasons that this campaign is working so positively is because it's not easy to talk about your mental health issues. Absolutely not. And it's draining to say the story every single time if you go in, in depth about it. But storytelling at the same time actually helps with your mental health and with your anxiety because I think you feel a bit more empowered because you're, you're doing something about it. And also um, getting involved in campaigns or getting involved. So I think that's why this campaign works because can you imagine what it must be like to fundraise or try to lobby, you know, governments in Liberia or Sudan, which have problems, you know, historical problems of colonization and corrupt governments and lack of financing. And it's so much harder um, in those kind of contexts. But if you make a campaign and put people together, then it's kind of like you're encouraging each person to, to do it, to move forward together. And you can bounce ideas off each other. You can share best practices. You can share comfort, love, like I call it tribe. And that's why working with Alicia and working with United People of Mental Health and their team and the campaigners, for me, it's been one of the key areas that has helped with my own anxiety issues or overcoming some of the issues that I had as a result of all these suicides around me because you feel like you're doing something about it. So there was this great article that I read because um, I'm interested now about how climate change is going to affect mental health because I think that's an area that's not really been, dis been discussed about. But for me, it's going to be one of the areas that's going to be huge in terms of mental health. And one of the ways that you can overcome that is through activated hope. That's what this article was saying. And that's what I think helps with mental health. And that's why I think this campaign is so great. So if you, so we don't actually lead the grassroots activities. It's the campaigners themselves. And if, we, if people come and talk to us, how can we get involved? How we have these issues, we plug them into the national campaign. And I think that gives them this sense of activated hope that helps with their own mental health issues. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I love that. And I think, again, it just you guys, I mean, I, I really have to commend you for, for putting so much money behind this, too. There's so many people that are willing to talk, but, um, <laughs> mm. but are not willing to uh, make the personal sacrifice, especially financially, you know. And so yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, I don't necessarily talk about it all the time, but I, I think about my, my own struggles um, and I think about as a teenager having suicidal thoughts and and it's funny i think for people who haven't been there to to really try to understand and like for me and, and this is i guess two things i want to bring up is one how illogical it can be and so trying to apply logic to it is probably may not be helpful and that two i feel like it thrives in like in the dark so like mine was so looking back on it it almost feels so dumb i had bought a snowboard. I was like this addicted snowboarder. I'm like, you know, 13 years old, 14 years old in the eighth grade in Canada. And mm -hmm. um, it was like $250 of debt. Like looking back, like it was basically nothing, right? But my whole life was snowboarding. My, I had wallpapered my entire walls, floor to ceiling with pulled out ads from snowboard magazines. Like it's all I thought about. All I did all summer was skateboard waiting for the snowboard seasons to start, you know. And I got to this place of thinking, I'm never going to pay it off. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a source of income. And I just optimistically thought, I'll be able to get this, right? And mm. I'm sure there's other things that were going on at the time. But, like, I got to this place where I had, like, these recurring unhelpful thoughts going on. And, and like, to the point of, like, suicidal thoughts. 
and uh, I had been writing on like little erasers, uh, like kind of the two inch eraser, you know, little white erasers, if you remember those from school. But I think I, mm-hmm. I think I wrote on it like, I hate my life. And like the line was like, I hate my life and I want to die. And mm-hmm. I, that I shouldn't actually write the other one down. And I kept like writing stuff like that and things like this. And luckily my mom doing the laundry one day finds the eraser and like her and my dad sit me down in the living room and are like, can you talk to us about this? You know, that's incredible. I'm, oh my God, I can't even imagine what that must've been like for you and for your parents. Yeah. And how did the conversation go afterwards? I mean, well, was it an down, open conversation with yeah, your parents? Yeah, broke down bawling, you know, and then yeah. I didn't tell them that I was suicidal. I just, you know, let them know how bad I was feeling, how depressed I was, but I still didn't tell them I'd had suicidal thoughts. And they like, mm. they quickly arranged for me to do some jobs around the house where I could earn $250, you know? And yeah. I got that some work. Yeah. And it was like completely game changing. And I guess the reason yeah. I tell that story is the word that you brought up, which is hope. I think all of a sudden yeah. I went from hopeless and, and I wish that the story was like somehow I overcame it myself. But looking back, like if I could give my 14 year old self some advice, of like, go talk to your mom, Jess. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yes, I, that I could have been solved weeks, mean. months, you know, weeks and weeks earlier. She wanted to help, but I was sitting there dealing with it on my own, obsessing about it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I think it's, it's so important to say that, to say that story. So there, to, to do to have that storytelling element, you know, because it get, first it gives you, it gives you that voice that you perhaps didn't know you had at that moment in time. And second, it also connects you with people. So there's this great book that I everyone has to read. It's amazing. It's called Lost Connections. And it looks at kind of how mental health was reduced to um, predominantly by, you know, campaigns from big pharma companies, um, how mental health became like a physical problem with your brain. So a lot of the di- dialogue or the comments previously was about like, there's something wrong with my brain. You know, there's something wrong with me. That's what the mental health dialogue was about previously. And now I think we're getting to the point where it's like, actually, it's not. It's not about like, yes, okay, some people do have, um, you know, their brain doesn't work in the same way as others. But I think a lot of it, more like the, the lower level depression or anxiety, I think that comes more from um, lack of connection, lack of empathy, lack of understanding, lack of being able to air your thoughts, like you said, you know, without in a safe space. Um, and so this book, Lost Connections, that's exactly what it talks about. It talks about connecting to others, you know, that's your tribe. And I think tribe is really important. Um, that's why I think of the campaign work that I do or the next gen work that I do a little bit as tribe. And that it really helps with my own anxiety. So it's connection to each other, connection to nature, because that's really important. And it's something that I think we're increasingly losing. Connection to meaning, meaningful work. Um, and that's also, you know, repetitive jobs that you don't have to, you know, add your value or your principles to. I think that can also cause anxiety or depression. And so that's why I think depression and anxiety and mental health issues are becoming more and more of a prevalent issue. And we call it the silent killer because it disproportionately affects the younger generation, I think. And it's because of these kind of technological changes, global development, this fast-paced digital world that we live in, where we're increasingly disassociated from each other and, you know, from the environment or from meaningful work, um, so yeah, yeah, so you know, I, I think about. I think it's great that your parents talked about it. Me too. I mean, what a credit to them. Um, and I guess my my point is, um, you know, if it's it's uh, I don't know if there's shame about even having those feelings in the first place, or or what it is that is that resistance from going and talking to someone. But um, mm-hmm. 
but you know, I think just having these kind of conversations, and again, my, my friends who I look up to here, they even, they even posted on LinkedIn, and they're like well-known CEOs in our little bubble here, right? Um, mm -hmm. And there was like, I don't know, seven of them, and they just posted on, they posted on LinkedIn a picture of all of them together of, we're a group of CEOs who are dealing with mental health challenges, and, you know, we invite people who, who are as well. And just that like... Mm -hmm. You know, I think we ha all have this cardboard cutout version of ourselves we wish everybody believed in, right? And right, right. Usually, usually on like the, the sash of merit badges where we're trying to get everyone to bestow on us is not somebody struggling yeah. with mental health, right? And yet um, that kind of courage is what can change the world, like that courage to go first. You know, I think about, I think about my friend. He was, he was a few years older than us. It was my buddy's cousin from just around the corner. And he talked about suicide a lot. And he talked about like, you know, Kurt Cobain and all these, all these yeah. stars that died at 27. And then uh, at 27, he took his life, you know? And yeah, I don't know, you know, being 10 years younger than him at the point at that time, I really was not recognizing anything I could have done to be too helpful, you know, that, um, mm -hmm. that kind of going around it in circular thinking, uh, it does seem to compound itself. In my observation, do you have any thoughts on that? I entirely, I entirely agree. So, I mean, the slogan of the campaign is everyone, everywhere, everyone, everywhere should have someone to turn to when they, when they need help. And I think that's part of the problem. A little bit with um, depression and anxiety or mental health, it's, it's very isolating. It's very isolating. So you kind of think you're the only one that suffers from it. You're the only one that, um, that has issues, blah, blah, blah. So having those CEOs make a photo of themselves on LinkedIn, I think that's incredibly powerful because it, it opens up the space for others to, to share their story too. And I think the question of mental health and finance, that's, that for me is a really tricky area. Um, and that's one we're looking at now with HSBC. So HSBC partnered with us uh, over this, uh, the UN General Assembly and the Museum of Lost and Found Potential. And we're working with them and with the trustee of, with the board of our trustees, who is um, Sir Ian Cheshire, who's chairman of, um, CEO of Barclays. And we're looking at how to address mental health in, in finance, because also finance is a lot of kind of, um, ego, not on purpose, but more like finance is kind of the area, more masculine area, often seen as more masculine. And, there's, well, and I think it's harder for men and, to you know, like... Exactly. Go ahead, sorry. Exactly. So, yeah, no, exactly. So I think those are all areas where it's very, very difficult to, to address mental health. So, and then there's something fascinating about, and I, so when I talk about suicide, I'm always really careful about what I say in relation to my father's suicide or my friend's suicide. So I often don't say, for example, how or when or what the details are, because there seems to be some odd fascination with the concept of suicide. Mm -hmm. And I asked, I, I've been, right? So I've been on this, so I haven't really been that suicidal, but I have my own demons, right? Of course, as mm -hmm. everyone does. And so I've been on a bit of a spiritual path trying to find my way through it. And I went to, I did this um, meditation silent retreat. So I was in silence for five days and you're not really allowed to have books or have any interaction. It's just kind of inner reflection, but you're allowed to ask questions. And I asked the lady who was doing it, I wrote her a question. I was like, why, why do people, why do people die by suicide? And she gave me a very interesting answer. Um, which is that depression or mental health is about contraction. And if you think about perhaps when you were feeling low, you kind of go into yourself. As I said, you kind of become mm. a little bit more insular mm -hmm. and you contract downwards until all you can think about is like, I can't get out of bed because your bed becomes your world. Um, it becomes your horizon. And for some reason, suicide seems like is the, is the opposite. It's the ultimate expansion. It's like the final hurrah. And so there seems to be this fascination with the concept of suicide as, 
not even it's romanticized, but I just, you know, particularly in the U.S., for example, there's this weird spate of, you know, mass suicidal killings. Um, and I think that speaks to that kind of concept of the expansion. So what I do instead, so when I'm feeling low, instead of like having suicidal thoughts, I try to be more expansionary. So I don't, I know we've never met, but I have like pink and blue feathers in my hair most <laughs> of the time. Um, I wear gold, like gold boots. And I wear lots of color and lots of makeup or, you know, bright red lips or something. So when I'm feeling a little bit low, I pile on more because I want to be more country and it makes me feel better. Um, and I think you want to surround you know, yourself by that kind of, yeah. No, no. Well, I, sorry to interrupt. I just, as you're talking there, no I love that idea. I think, and I know we're about done for time on, on episode one here, and but um, I, I think about, uh, like, my wife is really great with this kind of stuff and like her version of that is going and doing service for others and mm -hmm. there's just uh as, as you talked about the contraction i think about again being a 14 year old kid like it did feel like my world was closing in and i definitely was it was like a quite a it was quite a self-focused state everything was about me and my problems and yeah and it was uh very very self-focused and obviously an unhelpful way and um, it's it's almost like a magic pill to go do service for someone, especially someone who can't do anything back for you, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, I think about uh, what a, like, I don't know, it's got to be better than whatever drugs pharmaceuticals can give you. I mean, I don't want to discourage that. Obviously, if someone's in yeah. trouble, you need to be meeting with, with healthcare professionals that can help you. But um, as an expansionary thing, this, like, getting out of self-focus and, uh, and service or, like, like you said, you know, <laughs> doing something you don't feel like, like there's so much science about being able to like our feelings influence our actions, but our actions always also influence our feelings. And so I can see how, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> getting a little bolder on the color and being out there and, and doing the kind of behaviors that would invite more comments or interaction with others, you know, in kind of that surprise or big smile kind of way would increase connection and would, would pull away from that self-focus. I don't know if that's where you're going with it. it you're going somewhere else? That's, that's it. No, that's exactly where I was going with it. Because that's, like, when you're feeling just a bit low, it's just more fun to be a bit more, like, to talk to people and have that kind of connection. And I entirely, entirely agree with what you're saying about in-service. So I'm on the board of another incredible, um, another incredible organization called uh, Footage Foundation, a footage project, sorry. And they work in mental health uh, in er in, in, with women who are at, in areas of risk. So, for example, those who've been sexually trafficked, which might be of interest to you with your work on, um, with your foundation, and also in women in refugee centers. And one of the first, so they have this incredible IP, uh, intellectual property um, theory of change uh, module, and they implement that in the, the in these areas. And one part of it is storytelling, and the other bit is service. So not in the sense of like you've got to you've got to like be in service to someone else, but more like we they create something called Refugee, which is like a magazine that women in refugee centers can write and edit and sell because it gives you that feeling of mm. empowerment and that you also and hope right. So on right? the one hand, hope. and hope. And also that you're doing something for someone else because then it's not just about you. It's not about you. It's about kind of what you're giving back. And there's a massive connection between giving um, to others and feeling better and empathy. And, you know, all those things are very, very positive. So, yeah, that's basically where I was going with that. Okay. I love it. Um, so the, the book Lost Connections you're talking about, is that by uh, Johan Hari? Does that sound right? Exactly. It is. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. It's, um, it's really great. It's on Amazon here, and it looks like there's an audiobook of it as well. 
So sounds yeah. like that's a good recommendation. I would highly go ahead. I would highly recommend reading that. Yeah, it's it's just a great book because I mean, and if you if you think about it, if you think about sort of what what when you go to someone like when you went to speak to your parents about your your mental health issues or whatever was going through, those are the type of things that they recommend. Get out, go sit in the sun a little bit, go put your feet, like my mom always says to me, she's like, take your shoes off, put your feet in the grass, feel the nature, you know, because that's where you're from. And you're kind of, your your thoughts kind of fall away. And I'm not saying that medicine isn't important because there are a lot of people who really need medication. And as in as I've been working with these campaigners and kind of low middle income countries, one of the things they do say is very important is getting the right medication at the time that they need. So it's not say that that's not important but i think you need to have that ancillary support and that kind of connection um to be able to you know because it's not just about when you're feeling down taking medication it's kind of what happens in between how can we avoid getting into that situation in the first place so yeah yeah that's a great point well obviously uh, recommend that book there everybody if you want to check out um this organization that natasha is on the board of uh, united for global mental health the website is united G-M-H, like globalmentalhealth.org. Um, and then, Natasha, for people who are more interested in, in connecting with you and finding out what you're about, is where's the best place for them to find you on social? Or what? Where, where, uh, where's the best place for them to find out more about you? Oh, so I'm on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. And my website is also www.natashamuller, M-U with the umlaut, L-L-E-R.com. I'm also on Instagram as Natasha Miller Impact and on Facebook. And I would say that if anybody else wants to get involved in kind of a mental health campaign, then United for Global Mental Health, we launched the Go Speak Your Mind, or it's called the Speak Your Mind campaign. And the website is www.gospeakyourmind.com. And there we're asking people, to, we're trying to create a voice, voice petition, excuse me, a voice petition. So we're asking for people to write a video or to make a video for 40 seconds, because as I said before, every 40 seconds someone dies by suicide. So if you write, make a video about why mental health is important to you or why your ministry is your government to get involved, you can post it on the website, you can post it on your social media and tag Speak Your Mind. And um, then you can be part of the campaign that we're doing to address mental health issues. That's great. Okay, everybody. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Natasha. Thank you very much. <laughs>